0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Good morning, church. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table alongside Father Ben and Father Matt, who's actually in the nursery today doing some kingdom work in there. Today, we're we're continuing with this, uh, this flesh of life uh, discussion that Jesus has been leading us on over the last few weeks. And... Uh, This is actually coming to the conclusion of this passage, so we'll be preaching and hearing good news out of John 6 today. Starting with verse 56, Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and then died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Church, in the midst of your exhaustion, your exhaustion, your desolation, Jesus is calling out to you today, and his command is for you to abide and to eat. In your surrender, Christ is sustaining you, and he's drawing you into the slow ferment of new creation, into the very life of God. It has been one heck of a week. So over like the last month or so, we've been incrementally, because this is how they do it now, we've been incrementally sending kids back to school, you know, like one week at a time. And I feel like it's spread across like five weeks somehow. Um, but I think almost everybody is back in school now, just about. So. Everybody's been wrestling with what are going to be the regulations due to COVID uh, with schooling, right? Like it's actually changed for Cameron's school over the last three weeks. They were not going to make masks mandatory. They were requesting that you wear masks. And then three days before school started, they are mandatory. I have no idea what kind of hoopla that caused for them. But just as a parent who's in favor of us wearing masks, it's just a lot. So there's just like this constant wrestling with what is happening right now. I thought like we were going to be past this by this time in the year. Um, Not only that, but we've been talking since the beginning of the pandemic. We don't really know how this is going to be impacting everybody's mental illness. Like the charges will come due and this will be putting a strain on people. Some people at various degrees were just moving through it. And sometimes we had to take breaks, right? We've all experienced it in a new or, you know, an, not necessarily isolating because it is common, but in a unique personal way. We all are acutely aware of the costs and the toll that it's been taking on us. And just now, as we're sending kids back to school this year, I think I'm starting to observe that we are, these, these checks, these bills are coming due, uh, only it's not when we thought we were gonna be done with all this. I mean, it is when we thought we would be done with it, but it's actually due to like slow vaccination rates and just, Uh, Nobody can even talk to each other about this in a realistic way. Due to that, there is almost no insight. I have no idea what to expect timeline-wise. Beyond that, uh, US troops were withdrawn from Afghanistan and we saw immediate repercussions. The Taliban took over Afghanistan in what felt like just a couple of hours. We saw images and videos of people clinging to the outside of planes trying to escape devastation on the ground there. There was an earthquake in Haiti. There's great pain and suffering going on. And this is on top of just normal life, like being at a job where you don't know how you can make it anymore, being mistreated by coworkers or an employer, trying to find a place where you fit, trying to find a home, trying to figure out how to parent your kids. Adding on top of all of that is COVID and the political conversation in our country, and probably the political conversation within your own family. So what are we to do? How how can we live faithfully as the people of God in the midst of this? How can you go into another week, unsure of whether or not your kids are actually going to be in school or at home, and then wondering how you're actually gonna get your work done while also overseeing their education? What do we do when the people that we're talking to don't seem to care or comprehend that people are dying needlessly because there's untruths being spread and misinformation? What do you do when these people are your family? Do you just not get to have a family anymore? Or do you just avoid this topic somehow? I don't know how you do that, but it's gotta be on the table of options. What do you do when the rug is completely pulled out from under you? When all the competencies that have let you know who you are and that you're gonna be all right making it through this life, your ability to work well and make money, your ability to parent, they start to slip away. You're uncertain of what to do or how to live proficiently. The things you used to hang your hat on are being taken away or they just feel foreign to you. How do you live faithfully in the midst of this? What do we do when conversations about war are no longer hypothetical? When troops are withdrawn, and we see people falling from planes. I think we have a tendency to try to either power up and avoid this. So one of the ways that we come at these things, this suffering, this pain around us, is to demonize the other. We make scapegoats. We find somebody else that we can point to and blame for this. We saw this this week, especially politically, but even in conversations amongst friends, but very quickly the focus shifted in what was going on in Afghanistan, from what's actually happening on the ground to who's really at fault for this. People were removing things from their web pages of things that they supported a few months ago. Other people are trying to expound upon the nuances to other people, and not saying that there's not nuance, but very quickly you realize, oh, we've been talking for 15 minutes about whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats who are at fault, and we're very far removed from where the suffering on the ground actually is. Another technique that we apply regularly is to dissociate from pain. We have a litany of resources available to us at this. It's never been easier to check out than it is today. If you don't wanna be bored or in pain, you don't have to be. We have social media that starts the next video without you prompting it. There are equations that know scientifically what you're most interested in getting stuck in a rabbit hole on. There's games that you can play. There's so much TV programming that is at least a B minus in quality that I will never, we will never catch up. You cannot watch it all. And then my drug of choice when it comes to dissociation is sports. So there's all kinds of options at your fingertips. You don't have to feel pain if you don't want to. But maybe your problem isn't avoiding pain. Maybe you don't find yourself demonizing or dissociating as much as just feeling devastated. You feel like you're taking body blow after body blow after body blow, and you don't know how to keep walking. You're afraid that you're going to be consumed by it. Friends, in the midst of exhaustion and desolation in this season, Jesus is calling out to you, and his command to you is to abide and to eat. In your surrender, Christ is sustaining you, and he's drawing you into the very life of God. John 6, our passage today starts off saying, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. So in feasting on Jesus and abiding in him, We are welcomed into the life of God. This just as, at the beginning of this verse, is super important. And just, I couldn't get past it this week as I was preparing. Just as God sent Jesus, whoever eats Jesus will live because of him. Just as, we are being swept up into the outward flowing, relentless life of God. God is sustaining us. When you're at the end of your rope, when you don't know what to do, and you don't know how to function like you were functioning six months ago, God is sustaining you. He invites us to make our homes inside of him, in the God type of life. We are being drawn out of the ways of this world and into the life of God. The passage continues and says, When many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? The message says, which I really like, This is is hard to swallow. Jesus said, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. And many disciples turned their backs at this and no longer went about with him. Eating flesh and blood was even more offensive to this crowd than it would be today because of ritual laws in the Jewish culture. They were were forbidden from eating meat with any type of blood in it. So, medium rare steak was forbidden, let alone a rabbi looking at you and saying, drink my blood. This would have been horrific for people, scandalous. But it isn't actually until Jesus' further explanation that people really leave, that they actually turn and walk away. So flesh and blood here just serve as an appetizer because the main course is Jesus delineating a new way of life, a new way of existing in the world. He's delineating, he's laying out a life where the flesh on its own is worthless, a life where spirit and flesh go together. We see it in the incarnation. This was so offensive. The Greek word here actually means that they were scandalized. And it goes on to say, it's not just that they left the crown, but they returned home. They They just picked up back where they left off and started redoing the things that they had put down to follow Jesus. Jesus is using this flesh and blood discourse to rattle and shake worldviews so that there will be enough cracks that light can begin to flood through and hearts and minds can be transformed. Jesus knows, he knew, knew then what we're learning now. You can't argue someone into the kingdom. You can't argue your way into the kingdom or your neighbor's way into the kingdom. He's challenging paradigms and worldviews. He's calling into question in, in, in really startling ways for these people, everything that they think they know about what it means to be human, about what it means to be the people of God. He's doing what he always did. He's drawing their attention to the coming of God's kingdom, and he's unveiling a new way to be human, a way to be fully alive. And by abiding in him, by eating his flesh and drinking his blood, we, church, are being swept up into the life of God today how do we know what the life of God looks like? How can we know for sure that we're being swept up into the life of God and not something else? Or maybe scarier for some of us, depending on our church past, how do we know we're not just sweeping the word of God, the words of Jesus here, into our already pre-existing worldview? We'll turn to our passage in Ephesians, the armor of God today. I don't know if anybody here can relate, but growing up, The church that I went to, we had like a a full suit of armor as the armor of God, which is basically like looking back on announce like a young crusader starter kit, which is horrific and humorous with some distance, but pretty scary. But it's just a straight up like medieval suit of armor. You've got the helmet, there are shin guards. I mean, everything. And you've got just a regular sword. Literally the only thing different about this armor is that emblazoned in like red font on the outside, each weapon or each piece of armor was renamed something. And so this is like the fear that we have about this. We see this happening all around us, people taking the words of Scripture and actually just saying, like, oh, no, no, we're still using the same weapons, the same tools, but now they're baptized. Let's start a holy war. But the armor of God is actually disarming us from the weapons of this world. Paul is writing to a church of outlaws because Christianity is outlawed. It's illegal in Rome until the early 300s he's instructing a people that are oppressed, people that are, are fearful for their lives. He's instructing them on how to non-violently resist and oppose an empire that's defined by violence. Now while, while we don't face a, a risk for our lives today, the biggest fear that we have as a church uh, I guess potentially is like losing tax-exempt status. So I'm not saying this is the early church, but we have something that we can learn. This really resonates with me. We need to learn how to non-violently resist and oppose an empire that's defined by violence because that is where we live. That is where we are at in an empire that has been defined by violence. And yet, in the midst of this resistance, no early Christian picked up weapons against their oppressors. But they waged a war of peace. So our passage starts off with Paul exhorting the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power, which echoes back to Jesus' words, calling us to abide in him. He says, our flesh isn't against flesh and blood, but there is a deeper battle going on. Make no mistake of it, he's not saying there's no fight. There is a fight against darkness and evil and power that's at work in this world, and we are called to fight against it. There is a battle going on, but it's not weapons, it's not armor, it's not tanks, it's not assault rifles that sustain us, but it's the life of God. It's bread and wine. The markers of the God type of life are found in the armor of God. We see that Paul asks us to fasten the belt of truth, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The common English Bible actually says to wear justice as your breastplate, which I love. He says, he basically says, wear whatever shoes will carry you to preach the gospel of peace. I don't really care. You know, flip-flops, whatever. He says, take the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So church, our armor, our weapons, they're made up of truth, justice, peace, faith, salvation, and the Spirit. This is the work that we're called to in this fight. This fight against darkness and evil and injustice all around us is to wage a war of peace today. In the midst of exhaustion and desolation, Jesus is calling us. He's calling out to us, and his command to us is to abide in him and to eat. In your surrender, Christ is sustaining you, and he's drawing you into the slow ferment of new creation and into the very life of God. As we come today, this morning, and we receive Eucharist, In receiving the bread and the wine, the Eucharist is combating our temptation to demonize or dissociate or just fall prey to the devastation. It's sustaining us. As we chew on the bread of heaven and really feel it actually in our mouth, we are reminded of the beauty of the incarnation. We are reminded of God as one of us, not over and against, not far away, but God with us in our midst. As we circle around this kneeling rail, we are remembered as the body of Christ. We don't come and receive Eucharist as individuals or as isolated nuclear families. We are one body around this rail, and we are remembered into the body of Christ, present in this world, a hurting and broken world. In the incarnation, we see God, see a God that instead of condemning us, identifies with us. So instead of demonizing at a distance, What would it look like for us to identify with the pain and the hurt of others as we go from here today, as we're sent out back into our schools or our homes? Maybe a mix of both. Back into our workplaces. What does it look like to identify with the pain that we're feeling instead of distancing ourselves from it? In the Eucharist, in the Incarnation, We see a God that isn't too distracted to care about the hurting. We see a God that is not above pain, but who instead enters into our pain with us and moves through it. Church, new creation is bursting forth in our midst. It's not a revolution like what the disciples were hoping for, where Jesus rides in on a white stallion with his old-school armor and regular old sword just renamed ablaze, but it's a, a slow, patient ferment. This new creation is not just about each of us as individuals praying a prayer and punching our ticket to heaven, but all of creation, the earth, the animals, all of us, we are being reconciled to the Father. This work is ongoing in our midst. New creation is springing forth, and God is inviting us to join in this work. That doesn't mean that we come and we say a prayer one day and then everything is fixed, then we're ready to go and and kick bottoms and take names for the kingdom, but that God is forming us. He's meeting us in the midst of this, this season right now where we're acutely feeling pain and struggle and strife and new ways where we can stand together, where we can learn to bear, bear one another's burdens shoulder to shoulder and inhabit a posture that looks like Christ. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that you have to get it right. I think that is a lot of the story that we've told ourselves previously is that you have to actually get every single thing right. But all you have to do today is relent fighting against the will of God. Just submit to it. Just abide in Christ today. Just chew. We can say yes to this good news by coming to the table today, here in just a bit. Come exactly where you're at. Bring your shame, bring your anxiety, bring your anger with you, bring your languishing, bring it to the table of our Lord today. You can say yes to this good news by connecting with somebody, whether it's one of the priests or Deacon Nancy or somebody on the prayer team, somebody at table group, just somebody here and sharing where you're at, letting somebody bear your burden alongside you, confess to them where you're at and be together. You can say yes to this good news by joining a DNA group, starting to learn how we try to practice getting our wanters on the table and inviting God to meet us where we're at. You can say yes to this by continuing to walk with us at the table as we seek to be a body that pursues truth, justice, peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit. We don't seek to overpower or win a culture war. We don't, seem, we don't seek to make our church as large as possible. We are seeking to faithfully join in the patient ferment of new creation, to live in the life of God. Church, in the midst of exhaustion and desolation this morning, Jesus is calling out to you, and his command is to abide and to eat. In your surrender, Jesus is sustaining and drawing you into the slow ferment of new creation, into the very life of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.